There used to be this thing, if you're in Canberra, you had to go to Sydney. Um, you had to go to Sydney to do something and whatever else, if you had to work with good places. And you don't really need to. There's so many good places here in Canberra. Um, that it's sort of built from there. You've got opportunities here. You might stay, you might go, you might go and come back quicker than you might have. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The evolution of the Canberra dining scene has been quite extraordinary in the last five years or so, as young, eager professionals bring a new energy to the capital. But there are some that have helped shape and define dining in the capital long before the new wave, and they continue to influence. Ben Willis is a chef and owner of Aubergine in Griffith, ACT. Ben, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Oh, good. It's good to have you on the show. You've been a, a real um, defining feature of the Canberra dining scene for quite a while now. What's it been like seeing the recent evolution with a lot of young operators? I love it. Um, I love every bit of it. I think a lot of people, either within the industry, maybe mostly without outside of the industry, sort of think it's all about competition and and concern over, you know, all that kind of stuff. All it does is is make you love living in Canberra even more um, because it is a great town and it's always been good, um, but I guess it's just lacked a little bit of options at different levels. Um, Back in the day, it only had really fine dining. Probably a lot of, so did Australia at at some point. And then it only really had a little mid-market that was pretty basic. Um, So, yeah, to have options of really good sort of mid-level and then, you know, really great higher level as well so yeah it's been really good what do you think the driving force behind this whole new wave that's happening has been i think it's it's just lifestyle as well as external influences and things you know there's i guess across the world you see young people doing great things and it's inspiring young people to do things in their own backyard um you don't have to have traveled i mean i did the whole ubiquitous go from Canberra to Sydney, Sydney to London, London, did a bit of travel, then came back. Um, And now you don't really need to do that. I think that there's good things happening everywhere. And I mean, even more so since the lockdowns and things like that, you know, people picking out regional spots and coastal uh, havens and and making the most of that. And I I guess that's just off the back of other people doing it successfully and, and then good people, intelligent people saying, well, I can do that too. Aubergine is one of uh, the most awarded and celebrated restaurants in the capital. Uh, you've you've had it for quite a while now. What's it been like having a restaurant for um, for over a decade and and having to sort of change um, with the evolution of the food scene as well here? Yeah, look, I mean it's it's fourteen years, and sometimes those those fourteen years are very fast, and other times those fourteen years are very slow. And I guess if I think back to the early days. Um, it's a different restaurant. It's a different. It's a different city, um, and and so I guess what we've slowly built over time, a lot of for different reasons. Mostly, in the early days, it was financial, and um, you know, along with what you do, the customers have got to come along with it. You know, the staff and and the market you don't necessarily want to chase chase trends as such, but you know, you sort of. Uh, it makes it exciting when you're in your own business and things are changing and evolving and you're not just seeing the same mundane color palette or you're not just cooking the same food or, or doing the same thing. So 
I guess that's where I like to do it is, is slowly chip away as opposed to sort of wholesale changes because every day I come to work, we can work on something new. So I want to explore what you do at Aubergine and the incredible connections that you have with producers of the region. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Uh, well, look, I mean, 70s born, um, 80s sort of growing up, I guess. Um, it was pretty standard. Um, mum cooked uh, most of the meals. Um, good cook. My mum's a fantastic cook. But, you know, I guess back back in the day, there was the sort of standard offerings, you know, meat and three veg and, and a few mum greatest hits, you know, apricot chicken and uh, beef stroganoff and, and all those sort of things. So, um, yeah, mum was a great cook and everything was home cooked and, and everything was great. But, um, yeah, look. That sort of that era is what it was. What lured you to a career in hospitality? Uh, I guess it was a bit of a lack of. I got to that age where you're in high school and you're, you're deciding whether you're going to TER and go off to university and you know what or you know what you might do. And it was very strange. You know, you had to do home economics, so you know that was part of it. You had to do a few sort of metalwork and woodwork and home economics and. I kind of didn't really like the the bravado maybe of the the metalwork and the woodwork stuff. I I quite liked hanging out in the in the kitchen to be honest with you. You know, you got to make a cake and sit there and eat it. And I think one day we did something really good and um it was a mate of mine and I think I said something like, Oh, we should have a restaurant, you know? maybe one day we'll open a restaurant and I have an uncle that's a chef, um, albeit he used to be in the in the navy and, and things like that. But, you know, we'd we'd had a few conversations about travel. And got into my mind there, and another good friend whose dad came to the school and did a talk because he was a chef, um, local chef in Canberra, and uh, it just sort of, sort of slowly crept its way into my brain. And um, I sort of mentioned it to Mum, you know, that time where everyone's deciding you're going to go to a TR, and which I guess these days is called whatever else it's called, a tertiary education entrance thing. And uh, and I didn't really know, so I, I sort of sort of stood on the fence a little bit. So I got taken to Arendelle College out of Western Creek School. All my friends were going to other schools and I went sort of away from everything because they just opened up a, a hospitality sector of the school, probably one of the first in Canberra to do what is now quite quite common. And so I did my year 11 and 12 in a school that did sort of cooked its own restaurant and um, and did hospitality in there. So um yeah so i did that for a period of time like did that and quite enjoyed it and was sort of thought i was pretty good at it and um and then sort of that from there left school um sort of looked at opportunities for jobs wanted to get an apprentice chef's apprenticeship and literally cv after cv resume you know back then there was only clubs you know like the vikings clubs or well actually i don't even think they were around maybe the Southern Cross Club, I think, was one that I put my resume into amongst many others. And no one, no one had any work. So you couldn't literally these days, you know, pass the sieve around and everyone would jump on you. But back then, no, couldn't find anything for months of looking. So because I was, um, you know, gone through that program, the next step was to go into TAFE. And I did a, a diploma of business in hospitality which is a sort of a two-year course at TAFE and that was a bit of front of house back of house you had to do a bit of everything so I did all of that um, but in that there was a lot of connections to to work front of house in bars 
So I used to work behind the bar at the press club or doing functions at Parliament House um, and eventually led me to the Hellenic Club um, in Canberra, which sort of Greek club where I used to do the, the bistro there. You know, they were doing six or seven hundred dinners and not like covers a night in that in the bistro. Um, and then, you know, on the on the weekends, we do these functions for, you know, Greek weddings for 700 people. And, uh, you know, big, big operation. So I sort of then sort of stayed there for a while. I'd finished everything and I'd stayed there just doing work at the front. And uh, one thing led to another. And then I think somewhere along, I had never told anyone I wanted to be a chef, but one of the chefs had walked out or left and they needed somebody in a hurry. And uh, I put my hand up and I stood on a deep fryer and my deep fry section was stacking about eight boxes of chips beside it and literally managing managing eight baskets to keep up, up the demand of the chips in the uh, for the 600 cover bistro. So I did that for a week while I tried to figure out what what their gap in their, their hole was. And, you know, I just stuck around. I made salads during the day for the salad bar and I washed some dishes and uh, eventually sort of grew through that into other things. And and then the boss said, well, why don't you just sign up as an apprentice and we'll backdate you and we'll do this and at least then you're getting started. So I did that. What, what were the really important sort of um, moments or venues that you worked at in the early years in, in Canberra? Yeah, so I bounced from there to a, a hotel eventually. I mean, I always knew I wanted to cook good food and, and all that was bad there, they, they had a really good – I could look back and look at everything. I've done a lot of different things. If you ask me to go through it all, we'd be, we'd be here for a long time. But um, I, I liked the fact that the, back then they were using really good quality produce. And it was only a club, but, the, you know, the meat was very – and they were very proud of it, and they did a lot of work back then. I think now a lot of stuff's brought in, but, you know, everything was done. But, look, I went to a hotel, uh, which was sort of pretty good when I arrived and, and didn't end up being as good as I thought it was going to be, to a small restaurant. Um, and then off to Sydney – as you do, and um, I was cooking at events in the um, in the opera house, and because I had a connection to a chef at the a chef there, so I was doing events. And you know, by this stage, I was sort of partially club hotel minded career or path. You know, then events and things like that, and restaurants weren't really something that I was into or or gotten into. But uh, you know, cooking in the event stuff. I think I was boiling potatoes. One of our stoves wasn't working. I was up in Benelong where, um, you know, all the, the serious chefs were Benelong and I was cooking potatoes on the back bench when the chef walked past and picked one up and he was, oh my God, that's one of the best potatoes I've ever had. You know, like, and I was like, oh, it's just salt. And he was like, well, yeah, he goes, but you know, not many people understand salt. And he was kind of impressed or whatever. And I don't know, a few weeks later he came over and he said, do you want to, do you want to jump from where you are and, and join us? So that's so I did that, and uh, you know, I guess I was at Benelong for a couple of years as well, sort of in in the Michael Moore years, which was sort of uh, after Yanni and and before Guillaume. How different was that kitchen compared to the kitchens you had been used to? Oh, ridiculously different. I mean, it was big and it was busy, and you know, you did the pre theatre, which started at sort of five pm or. 5, 5.30 and post there would come out at 10 o'clock and you'd be there till till midnight. Service was seven hours and um, 
I loved every minute of it. I think I, I never minded the work. It was long hours and, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a great place. I basically, like I said, I had no real restaurant experience. So I struggled and, um, you know, struggled my way through, um, some horrible services and prep times and was carried along by a few other chefs and whatever else. But, um, yeah, no, I loved it, and I guess I did grow into a better chef because of it. After a couple of years in the same kitchen, you're always going to you're always going to be better when you uh, come out the other side of that. You mentioned you uh, travelled abroad a fair bit, which was quite common for chefs back then. Take us on that sort of journey. What, what were the the main experiences that sort of helped carve a path for you? Um, yeah, so I headed off overseas. So the the Ben Long Kitchen was heavily ex Marco Pierre White's staff very english brigade um i think i was probably at, at times one of the only non-english people in the kitchen and um so i had a few connections into jobs at um you know market pair white restaurants and things like that but um i ended up getting stuck in ireland i went for a wedding and traveled around a little bit and i, and I missed my interviews and start dates and things like that but uh then through some connections ended up at a place called the harrington club which um the private members club owned by Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones. And uh, and I took a job there as a sous chef based on the the executive chef being a sort of ex-Alain Ducasse head chef um, from his Monte Carlo restaurant. So, I mean, it all sounded really great. And so I, I, I took a job there to, um, you know, get some experience that was a little bit different to what I'd cooked um, because I guess when I looked at what they were doing in these other restaurants, it was sort of what I'd already been doing, and um, and that was great. I worked I worked there for about six months with that executive chef, and then um, and then he left to open his own restaurant, and and I was stuck there, um, not stuck there, but offered the the head chef role, and and I took that. Um, yeah, came out of nowhere, but it was a really interesting time. It was what two thousand two thousand and one. Um, and, you know, very kind of close connection to obviously all the celebrities that came in. It was the first, first kitchen or first place that I'd ever heard the words gluten-free and organic, organic food being a priority. Um, cause wife's, uh, sorry, Ronnie's wife, Jo, uh, was very much into the health food and, uh, especially for Ronnie and the, and the, and those guys, because, um, they were about to go on the, the 40 licks tour. So they were in there a lot. They were eating in the private dining room, lots of meetings, lots of, and they were on their get fit, and they are on their get fit, uh, eat well, stay off the drink. It was all to do with insurance. Uh, so they they weren't going to be insured unless they were clean and in good health. So, yeah, so I did that for, did that for a period of time. And, uh, and that sort of went down the gurgler, um, Ronnie Wood lost that club, and um, and so we were sort of left with no nose and, and out on the street. So that was my time there. What what was it like in your sort of first head chef role? Did, did it sort of change your approach to to cooking in a in the kitchen? Yeah, I mean, I probably skipped over. I'd had a little bit of leadership in some other smaller kitchens and things like that. So not so much putting food on the plate. That was definitely my first, you know, you've got to come up with a new menu and the, and the general manager wants to taste it. The food and beverage manager wants to taste it and the, and all those sort of things. And, um, 
I think by that stage I did have enough up my sleeve that I I was pretty keen and, and happy to do the work and, and, and knew enough. So, you know, I loved it. I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't so much into, you know, taking all the butter out that Joe wanted me to take out of all of the food and that was a bit new to me coming from a very English kitchen to sort of having to strip a lot of that sort of stuff out. But um, no, it was really good. And I guess it was a good step um, probably in a place where, um, you know, it was a certain clientele there that you, you had to keep happy, but it wasn't open to the general public. There was no reviewers could come in because it's all private member stuff. So it was really good to be able to play around with the place that virtually had no budget um, and toy with food and, and make people happy and, and get good feedback. So, yeah, I know I really appreciated that. And it also taught me that I had a lot more to learn. Um, I think that's another important thing when you is at some point knowing that you've got to go and either teach yourself or find somebody to teach you what you, what you didn't know. So, What did you do when that venue closed and you were sort of, sort of turfed out on the street? Yeah, turfed out on the street with no notice. Uh, the general manager went down into the countryside and um, invested in a pub. So I went down into Somerset and turned a, a, an old, you know, pretty much deep fry lead pub kitchen where we gutted it and cleaned it and scrubbed it up and turned it into a bit of a, I guess, for want of a better word, a gastro pub. Um, it was about an hour and a half drive out of London. I had a few rooms upstairs. And the, the GM was a very well-connected person. So... Um, as well as, you know, there was an owner above that and, and things like that. So, yeah, a lot of people would come down and stay in these rooms and, and eat in the dining room and, and things like that. So, um, but it was very isolated in a small, very small town, um, where you might have some people coming from London on the weekends or, or whatever, but we were working pretty much seven days a week, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and staying on, on site in a little uh, accommodation on on the grounds. And it became one of those things that it just eventually ate you up. I think, um, you know, you couldn't find any staff. Um, you're trying to cook to a good, uh, you know, a good high level. But, um, yeah, it eventually just burnt me out. So I needed time off from that. So we went, came back to Australia. I toured, toured a bit of Southeast Asia through Thailand and, and things and, and found my way back home. But... It was only a brief stint to come back home just to take a break and, and then um, I wanted to go back to London again but cook somewhere else. And The general manager of that place had also taken me to, to a restaurant called Shea Bruce when we closed up um, the, the, the Harrington Club and, um, and he took me there and he said, oh, I think this is your style of cooking. I think this is a good restaurant. You know, this is my favourite restaurant in London. I want to take you there. So he took me there and, and I really loved it. I thought it was great. So that was on my radar to to, um, to get a job in when I came back. So took a job at Shea Bruce. Uh, happened to have one or two connections that happened to be in the kitchen when I turned up on my first day, which was good. Guys I'd worked with in Sydney and and things like that. So, um, yeah, that was was awesome. And I guess Shea Bruce is sort of known as a, you know, the chef's chef kind of venue where it's um, very good. Uh, I wouldn't say simple but refined classic cooking and uh yeah it was good what did you take from your time there uh look there was a a, a very very highly skilled kitchen lots of you know every section had people that would probably be a head chef in any kitchen 
and the one thing that they just wanted to do was cook good food together. And, um, you know, Matt, the head chef, uh, Matt Christmas, he was, um, he's had a very good temperament and so did Bruce, the owner. Um, where it was a lot about teaching you and showing you and you worked your ass off. Like it was 7am to 1am and it was a four day on three day off, but you know, well, I was always having to do the fifth day or do the extras, and I was always happy to or go and work in one of their other restaurants. I worked in Trompette, La Trompette a few times and, and a few other places. So um, I, t- I took from that that it was, I think this, everything was tasted, checked, seasoned. The menu was sort of changed on the fly. Um, and there was enough skill in the kitchen to sort of, if something didn't kind of really come in or work out or, or was missing it was it was easy for them to kind of knock up a dish that was at a very high level on the on the go um and and that they would change between lunch and dinner service and and this place is packed i mean 100 covers for lunch 100 covers for dinner and booked out six months in advance so you always knew what you were in for um and every day was pretty much groundhog day it was very similar in terms of timing and what you had to do you never had to ask how many are we going to do today or, or anything like that. And, um, and on the weekends they did a, a roast or a big, a big uh, sort of pork roast or, or beef roast or something like that. So I think it was just the variation of food. The menu changed all the time. The menu was printed every day. Um, and through that time, you know, I saw countless, countless dishes and combinations and things, and they were all very classic. Um, the movement of moving into odd you know, combinations you'd never heard of before hadn't quite taken place. But, um, and I loved it. I, I loved that classic style of, of food and, and cooking and, and things like that. So, what brought you back to Canberra? So, my girlfriend and I were in London and we we're both pretty much wanting to come back. I mean, life when you're living like that is like it's on hold back home. Your, your friends are settling down, buying houses and, family members are having children and that you haven't met and, and things like that. And I think it just became time. And um, so, yeah, we, we came back in 2005. And, uh, yeah, I think we weren't really going to come back to Canberra. And then my wife was able to sort of get a job in Canberra where she'd worked um, for the government previously. So for me, I could get a job anywhere. So I think it was sort of good. She got a job offered to her and that was that so we'll, we'll stop we, we didn't have a lot of money you know you're sort of traveling and working and traveling and um so we needed somewhere to stop and fill the bank account up a little bit and kind of figure out where we'd go next and one thing led to another and i don't think we've i think we've always thought we would leave canberra probably still did up until a couple of years ago um and now we just don't know where else we would go and and, and life has sort of moved on and so i guess yeah that we're still here well, you've had uh, aubergine for an incredible 14 years. Tell, tell us about the beginning and, and taking on the restaurant and, and the challenges of that. Yeah, so I did, I mean, I did do a couple of stints at restaurants in Canberra just to kind of figure out the marketplace. And I would have happily always worked for somebody else if I found the right place. And then, but I just didn't really gel with anything that people were really doing. Um, and I went to Courgette as a job and I said to James, and I don't want a head chef, sous chef role. I want to look for my own venue, but I, I need a job. And um, so I slotted into the kitchen there and 
was looking at venues and visiting banks and talking to builders and, and things like that and just really shopping around um, from what, what my opportunities were and soon realised that I didn't have enough money and the bank won't touch you and, you know, really struggled to find anything that I would be able to afford. And in the end, uh, through various discussions with James, but I went to dinner one night at Aubergine um, and he was offering me another restaurant that he had, Savion, at the time. And he said, oh, you know, why don't you buy this off me? And I was like, no, nah, but I really liked I really liked the room at Aubergine. What about that one? And he's like, nah, sorry, not for sale. And eventually we kind of, he came back to me a while later and he goes, all right, well, why don't we look at doing something like that? So, um, yeah, we, we uh, figured out that sort of stuff. And then I took over and I think I had $30,000 left in my bank account to do a little refurb of kind of fixing a few things. And by the time all of that was done, we had $5,000 left in the bank account for ordering food and employing staff. So, so when you got 5K, so, uh, you know, I always wanted to change the name of Aubergine in the early days and probably, probably should have, but um, didn't have the money to put up signs and talk to printers and designers and all this sort of stuff. So we left it as is. And also everybody, you know, your accountant's telling you, don't change this and don't do that. So, um, you know, it came with us opening the doors to being having a, a customer base straight away because they're already existing bookings. So, um, so yeah, we just ran with, ran with the name and, and opened the doors and, uh, that was it. You've uh, fostered an incredible relationship with the producers of the region. Tell, tell us a bit about your approach to food and those, those connections that you've made. Yeah. I mean, the local producers has been, uh, has been a fantastic thing. And again, that kind of makes the job more interesting, you know, when you can kind of, um, be inspired and, and be educated um there's a lot of stuff that when you're kind of cooking through that many years that you've never seen or didn't know and what do you do with it and and things like that and um and give them things back you know things to taste or things to look at and um you know the local producer thing is sort of one i think it sort of came out of the um the epic markets you know it was really hard to find anyone and the connection to people like where to find i know they're growing it um, and they're not finding you because they're just they're probably just thinking that restaurants don't want it. So they're, they're taking it to their Zepic market. So I used to go there every weekend and then start chatting to people and then, you know, connections build and build and build until, you know, you're either – the the hard part was sort of getting it to us or, or us getting it from them. So, you know, you're always running around out to a farm to pick up boxes and things like that. So – um, and having a look around at what they do. And then you would see other things that they had there and be like, oh, are you, oh, are you interested in that? You know, didn't think anybody really wanted it. So, you know, from there, you're kind of building these little uh, avenues and things like that. But, you know, at various stages, I mean, a couple of uh, shut up shop, unfortunately, but, you know, there was, there was one guy that just did raspberries and one guy that just does asparagus and one guy that just does blueberries and, you know, you had these connections that you had to wait for every year to kind of get your, you know, the one thing that they did very, very well. And, um, yeah, I mean, that that has definitely shaped Aubergine as a restaurant and me as a chef as well, for sure. I know a lot of other people have cooked like that these days, but as I've kind of gone through that period, I've kind of picked it up along the way. So. 
how different is the restaurant to 14 years ago and, and also your cooking? Yeah, there are things that I kind of go back to now and I don't think that they're, um, you know, that they kind of, I guess my cooking has evolved so much, but sort of sometimes I just go right back to what I was cooking at the beginning and might pull that out and, and make a little change to it. But uh, I think obviously everything's changed. I, I mean, I hate to think back if I looked back at some of the things and I do often you kind of come across some old photos and you go, oh, was I really? But, you know, a lot of what we were trying to achieve was trying to use up as much of that local produce as we could, even if I was putting in like, you know, herbs and leaves and garnishes on plates. The only way I could make it viable for a farmer to travel into town with a box of one thing was to buy two or three other things off him um, to kind of get his bill up to 80 or or $100 so that it was worth the trip from, you know, Hall or Murrum Bateman, you know, a 45-minute drive to, to drop me off a box of, of figs. So, um you know, you sort of you start using that stuff across across the plates and across other things. And um, I guess we used to we started out with a three course menu for fifty eight dollars. Um, I think we were the first restaurant in Canberra to do a set price menu, a full three course for a a set price. And that was based off Shea Bruce. You know, they had their prefix menu, and I think I tried to call it prefix in the beginning, and everyone was like, "What's this prixy fixy thing?" You know, I don't really understand. I don't really understand that. And it was, it was my uh, my kind of opening to realizing the market was very different, and not everything that you think you can bring from your experience can you can you do. So we did the set menu thing, and again, no one really knew what. No, what do you mean? I have to have? We only want to have two courses. Well, guess what? You have to have three, and it's this price. You can have two, but you still got to pay this price. Um, and so that was a bit of a. So, yeah, in the beginning it was three courses and then we edged to four courses. Again, the reason for the four course was using up the local produce. So the first course was always set. And that was because I needed an avenue to offload a glut of one ingredient that I really wanted to use. And, um, and that was to serve it to everyone. The whole room had to have it because if you found something and if you did have asparagus and it's on a vegetarian course and it's fantastic asparagus, but it just didn't sell. Like it didn't, if I had the choice of four dishes, they would go for a quail or a fish or something like that. So, you know, we needed an avenue on the menu to to be able to shift some of that local produce in, in abundance. Um, and so that was the four, that was how the four course menu came about. And then you could still choose at other, at other levels on the second, third and fourth course had choice. And we ummed and ahed about sort of moving to the whole menu to that. And, you know, we just thought we were open for six six nights um, and some lunches, I think, back then. And I always thought that I don't think a set menu when you want to have bums on seats on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night is really going to cut it. And I didn't really want to do different menus in the uh, early week and then, on, you know, set menu on the weekend. I don't like that idea, so... Uh, you end up with too much leftover um, after the first few days, and then you've got to sort of, what do you do with it? It's just food waste. So so we stuck with the choice for a while, and then in the lockdown, when we came out of that, we we just wanted to take it safe, simple. Um, so we said, well, we'll just do four nights trade. We'll do a set menu, and uh, and we'll just sort of ease our way back into a you know six-day week or, or wherever we might end up. And as it turns out, we just didn't 
which the four days worked for everybody. Um, and that elusive, you know, work-life balance started to become a bit of a thing that people were enjoying and it made the restaurant more consistent. So instead of doing, you know, a couple of nights where you might do 15 or 20 on a Tuesday, um, and then, you know, that, that May in wintertime in Canberra, you know, it's up and down, there's no tourism, Parliament's not sitting, things aren't happening, and you've got these quiet, quieter early early weeknights. And what we realised is that all those people wanted to come on the Mondays and Tuesdays, well, they're just booking on the Wednesdays, and then the Wednesdays, you know, filling up the Thursdays. So instead of, you know, a couple of days that were a bit quieter, we we just had capacity every service. So four dinners only from, uh, I think, when I took over the restaurant, seven days, lunch and dinner. So whittled it back. Well, what sort of impact has this had on you, this, this new structure that that is working? Oh, um, I guess massive impact on, on me, my family, my friendships, um, my health. And um, I guess also the, from a restaurant point of view, you know, finding that time um, – in the early days to kind of get the jobs done that you might have struggled with or didn't have the time for, which sort of means on the weekends. I used to have to, you know, I'd spend the morning with, with the family or the kids or whatever, and every Sunday afternoon I was like, right, I've got to, I've got to go, I've got to go to the restaurant and, you know, do something and uh, do the ordering and, and get a clear space so I could think about what's on the menu for the week and, and other things like that, whereas sort of now I, Sundays are dedicated solely to family and, and Mondays I have my little boy for the day and um, and then Tuesdays I can kind of, you know, if I need to do a bit of work, I've got a whole day where I can sort of do that if I need to and, and preferably I don't um, and I've got it done in the other times of my week because, you know, time management sort of meant that I've, I've got sort of, you know, I've got all those things out of the way during the week because you've got to clear a clearer brain um, as well as not opening lunches. You know, you've got to st- we'd start at 12 o'clock every day. So, you know, you've got the mornings to sort of sort some things out as well. So very much on a work-life balance, it's a much, much better place to be for me and, and the staff as well. well. How do you feel about where Canberra's headed in regards to food? You've been a really big part of it and it's quite exciting what's happening um, albeit the speed bump of, of COVID, but um, are you expecting some good things to come in Canberra in the next couple of years? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, Canberra's always been a, a kind of a quieter little hub of creatives and and, and skills and, and that sort of thing, and whether it be the, the wine, connection of the wineries and breweries, but also, you know, design field, coffee, the cafe, you know, things with the guys at Honor and, and Red Brick and I don't know, too many people. I'm not going to start naming people. I forget them, forget to say someone. But, um, yeah, look, I think, like I said before, I mean, there used to be this thing, if you're in Canberra, you had to go to Sydney. Um, you had to go to Sydney to do something and whatever else, to, if you had to work with good places. And now you don't really need to. There's so many good places here in Canberra. Um, that they sort of build from there. You've got opportunities here. You might stay, you might go, you might go and come back quicker than you might have. I mean, I left for nine years. Um, and so you might go for two years and, and things like that. So uh, without a doubt, I think any of the sort of region, more regional hubs and um, and even then the little offshoots on the, on the coast and up at the snow or, or other places will start to benefit from that. Um, people staying closer to Canberra as well. So, yeah, without a doubt, there's some really good chefs in, in town and um, and some of them are working for other people that eventually do their own thing. So, without a doubt. 
What do you love about what you do? Uh, I've always loved the variety. I've always loved it. Um, it's it's sort of always moving, and um, and that no sort of two different uh, days are, are the same. I like working with people. I like um, you know, I guess mentoring my team, and then being um, enthused by by them. And um, yeah, I guess I, I don't really. I mean, yeah, I just like I like engaging with the customers and, and getting that feedback. Um, I can't sort of, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, I like the variety. I think that's probably the main thing I would come back to, um, being able to always do different things every day and sort of take little opportunities when they come. Well, Ben, congratulations on what you've achieved in the capital as you know one of the leaders of the restaurant game and um, look forward to seeing what you do from here on. It's been an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.